I heard Andrew Highway, Barry and Yop rented out a penthouse apartment and are all singing this song right now. If they could turn back pinball time, they probably wouldn't fuck up the boutique pinball hobby and make all those people lose all that money. We're going to talk about that on episode 242 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Let's go. It is over. Let me repeat that. It is over. Dutch pinball is done. All right. I, I, I'm still reading in the thread people who have money invested trying to figure out a scenario in which Dutch pinball will actually recover from this latest bit of news and get them their pinball machine. Let me just say, I'm saddened to say this, you're not getting your Big Lebowski machine. It's not going to happen. And we've been saying this and we predicted it last year. I'm not even gloating, it sucks. But we said that in 2018, Highway Pinball and Dutch Pinball would collapse and be no more. And here we are exactly as we predicted. I want to read to you the correspondence from Dutch Pinball that went out to people, uh, I think it was last night, that finally has people realizing that this is the end. That, you know what? It's over. It is game, set, match, and Big Lebowski Pinball will not be um, getting to people. All right, here we go. It says, and this is from Dutch Pinball, We are reaching out with the kind of news we desperately never wanted to do. Just know we are continuing to do all that we can to rectify this situation. Unfortunately, we find ourselves at a critical point in time. We have been subpoenaed by our uh, former contract manufacturer, ARA, and as a result, we have put in a counterclaim. Given the seriousness of this, we are not able to provide any details about this process until it goes to the courts for their findings and decision. What started out as a dream of creating wonderful pinball machines has become an ongoing and terrible nightmare. We deeply and sincerely wish we had better news to share, especially for all of you who have been so supportive of us over these past few years. We honestly have tried everything we could to give this project a positive outcome. But with the pending lawsuit, we have to put everything on hold. This does mean that production by Zertech or Zytec has to be postponed until further notice. The only thing we ever wanted is to build a beautiful game for you and many other people to enjoy. Our dream has been shattered by forces we could not control. We are heartbroken about this, but have not given up hope that all will be resolved and games will be, get built and shipped. But the question of when this might happen is still an unknown. Be assured that as soon as we have any news we can share, we will send an update all our very best Dutch pinball. All right, here's my thing. I'm just going to say this. I think it's what everyone just is thinking. Dutch pinball, Barry and Yop, just say once and for all, it's over. It is over. You cannot, you cannot now find the money to, to engage in a legal lawsuit and also still have money to make people's big Lebowski's. What annoys me about this entire communication chain from these gentlemen is very simply, first off, we don't hear anywhere in here, I'm sorry. We're sorry we lost your money. We're sorry we took your deposit of $8,500 years ago and did not get you a machine. Where is the apology? It's, how it's, it's all about how it's a nightmare for them. And the line that they weren't able to get you your game because of forces outside their control. Everything that has happened with this company has been their decision. They decided 
to partner with ARA. They decided not to figure out a solution with ARA and go on a two-year sort of uh, you know boondoggle trying to figure out a new way to manufacture the game. Here's what I don't understand. All right, this is what they've never communicated. How much money per game did ARA want you to pay? How much money? And why didn't you give the people who invested in your company an opportunity to decide whether or not they were okay with the price increase that ARA put on your desk? Why was that never communicated? Why do we always have to just take their word for it that they are in the right and ARA is in the wrong? I just don't buy it. All right. I haven't, I'd never bought it from way back when they lied to us that it was a board supply issue when it really wasn't. I don't believe it today. All right. None of these forces were outside their control. All the decisions that were made by this company were made by them. Do you see the similarities? The same similarities between Barry and Yop and Andrew Highway and how these gentlemen who, who take people's money and run the company into a, a position where people are losing their money and not getting their games, it's always someone else's fault. Right? There's always someone else to blame. It's, it's rubber ducks and it's Canada that led people to ask for refunds, which is why Highway Pinball collapsed. It's ARA and the fact that they raised the prices on manufacturing. That's the reason why you didn't get your game. Never, never do these men ever take responsibility or accountability for the collapse of their ventures. And I'm, and I'm just, I'm tired of it. I think you're tired of it too, all right? I'll never forget the cab ride I shared with George Gomez. I'll never forget it. It was Pinball X it was it was Texas Pinball Festival and it was 2016 and we were sharing a taxi to the airport and we were talking pinball. This is when George and I were probably on a little bit better terms. I think this is even like right before the right at the beginning of the podcast. And he said to me, Chris, Dutch Pinball is going to fail because they are trying to contract manufacture pinball machines. And by doing that, they are going to realize that they're going to be at the mercy of a contract manufacturer and it never works out because making pinball is a lot harder than people think and you run into issues all throughout the manufacturing of a pinball machine uh, that will just destroy uh, their ability to succeed if they use a contract manufacturer and don't know how to do the manufacturing themselves or have control over it, all right? And here we are two years later and George Gomez was right. And all that F Stern and F that, who's laughing now? I remember people were making fun of Gary Stern looking at the Big Lebowski and they were saying stuff like, well, there's the look of a man who realizes he's about to lose a lot of money to a competitor. How stupid do remarks like that sound now, all right? But what I really can't stand, what I really can't stand is that these gentlemen still refuse to just call it a day. They still have to manufacture this arbitrary and illusion of hope, right? This illusion of hope. I love this. Look at this. When they say we are heartbroken about this, but have not given up hope that all will be resolved and games will get built. All right. So right there, once again, it's like, stop it. Barry, stop it. Yup, stop it. Just for once in your lives, just admit that you don't have the money and the necessary resources to get this thing done. I know it sucks, but you know what sucks even more is constantly filling the heads of your victims with more hope. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, kid who gets kidnapped and you keep telling the parents, well, we still hope we'll find them. And it's like years go by and all the statistics point to when that much time goes by, the chances are the outcome's not going to be good. And the same thing is true of pinball. The more years that go on without a real manufacturing uh, process in place, the more like the likelihood is that your money's gone. You're not getting your big Lebowski. And I really want to say to everyone out there who believed in this game, and I still believe that the big Lebowski is a wonderful game, uh, but I, I, I think that everyone just needs to accept that it's not happening. 
and I and I and I'm reading Pinside, and I think it's hard. It's a hard pill for people to swallow. They still don't want to just admit it's over, it's done, all right. And and I and I and that's it. That is it. I mean, do you really think they're going to be able to fight a lawsuit with money? So where's that money come from? All right, you know how much lawyers cost. So how are they going to afford to fight this lawsuit? How are they going to afford to do that? and do the production in China. And now the fact that the Chinese production is on halt, that's a whole nother thing let's discuss for a second. So you're this company, Zytec, or whatever they're called, right? And they come to you, and you're gonna, uh, you're gonna make a pinball machine for the first time, and you're spending all this effort to remanufacture a game, to train your staff how to make a pinball machine, right? And I think we've got to like a couple prototypes that they sent out to, to different shows and to coin taker. And now you're being told by them, Hey guys, a uh, little problem here. We now have a lawsuit and we can't do what we were going to do. And we need you to stop uh, any, any work on this and just halt it. So what do you think those guys are going to do? You think they're going to like want to just pick up the second Barry and Yop call them again? No. And you have to wonder what kind of deal was inked with that company to actually get them to even do any work on this. They must have been promised royalties on future games sold and not been paid a lot of money up front. But whatever they were promised and whatever money changed hands, we all know one thing, that there is no money anymore to be to be distributed how can they have still have any capital all right it has to be at the end and i heard yap is taking this really hard i mean this is his dream crushed uh and this this is what must be going on in his head right about now i want a fucking lawyer man i want bill Kunstler, man or, or ron kuby and the ARA lawyer, this is what he must be thinking. It's Bush League psycho stuff. Laughable, man. <laughs> I would have fucked you in the ass Saturday. I'll fuck you in the ass the next Wednesday instead. Woo! You got a day Wednesday, baby. <laughs> but all joking aside, the whole thing sucks. And it sucks for a lot of reasons. It sucks for Chris and Melissa at Cointaker who invested in Highway Pinball, in Zidware, and in Dutch Pinball, and they've got burned. It sucks for all the people out there who've worked really hard and wanted to support these companies um, from the very advent of these organizations. And I think that's the part that really blows, is that so many people, all they wanted to do was show their support for pinball by investing in new pinball ventures. And when we look at the amount of ventures that have succeeded versus the ones that have failed, the failures now are far outweighing the successes. And we've all learned our lesson, or have we, right? I don't know. I also think it's unfortunate because right now, uh, there are people who are working really hard to build a new pinball machine and a new pinball experience. And now you can, it's really hard to ask people to invest in a pinball venture because of all these failures. Remember, they've made it hard now for anyone uh, that wants to come out and does need some pre-order money to get their company off the ground uh, because of what these companies have done. They've put the fear of God in everybody that pre-order equals lost money. And that's not always the case. I think the reality is that if you want to sell pinball machines and you want to start a company, uh, a brand new pinball company, you have to start really small. And you can't let someone else do the hard work. You can't hire a contract manufacturer. You can't show the game before it's ready to ship. And that was the other part. When you remember what Dutch Pinball did is they showed you the prototype of the Big Lebowski, they took money on it, and then they went and used a lot of that money to re-engineer the game. And the problem is, is when you don't have capital and you don't have additional money coming in from investors that are not your buyers, but capital you've raised, then that money is now spent and it wasn't spent on the parts needed to make the person's game right? And the money's then gone. And then you're in a hole. And then you can't 
get new money to build the old games, right? I really feel bad for all the people involved. And it's really, uh, it's time that we get rid of these companies. And I've said it before, pinball will be much better off without these companies creating a dark cloud over the hobby. I, I enjoy doing this podcast when I'm talking more about how awesome the art packages are on Iron Maiden and how cool Monster Bash Remake is going to be when they give it a 2.0 with the topper and the armor and the display. I want to talk about the stuff that excites you guys. I want to entertain you guys. Uh, there's a lot of misconception that I want this show to only be about these dramatic pinball collapses, and I don't. Uh, but But I did tell you all that this would happen. Uh, and I'm not a genius. I just know that when you give someone 100 bucks to do something for you and they spend $200 without doing the thing they were supposed to do, the company's going to collapse. It's very much just basic economics as to why Highway Pinball and Dutch Pinball were never going to make it. The same with Zidware. They were never going to make it. And here we are. They didn't make it. So it's another sad day in pinball uh, to see a company go under, but it's even sadder to me that they refuse to just go under, that they, they're still trying to keep the door open, that there might be a future for the Big Lebowski. The final thing I'll talk about is what does this mean for people who actually have a Big Lebowski, and do I think those games that ARA made are going to end up somewhere? Let me, let me start with the first thing, which is you have a Big Lebowski machine. And you own one. We know Kim Mitchell has one. We know he was selling it for 20 grand. He's probably going to offer it now for like 40, 50 grand. All right. He's now got this rare item. Um, and there are other people out there who have one as well. And so if you own one, I know there's one at Sunshine Laundromat that's always broken. If you own this machine, um, is it going to go up in value? Let me just tackle that. Uh, I Look, I think it will go up in value. I'm not, and here's why. I don't think alien machines... Are, are look at Alien. They're selling now for like eight, nine thousand dollars, which is what they were kind of selling for. Uh, nobody wants them. They're still for sale. Nobody's gobbling up Alien machines. If you offered a Big Lebowski today for nine thousand dollars, it would sell immediately. Uh, I think there's a few reasons for that. I think the Big Lebowski is a far superior game. Uh, than Alien Pinball. It looks much better. It plays much better. It's got way more wow factor going on in the game. I think a lot more people would rather own the Big Lebowski. So there's that reason. Um, it's a standard body, which we know people want more than, than wide bodies. I know that's like a silly little stupid reason, but it's true. It's true. Um, I also think that when it comes to support, long-term support of the games, I think there's much more nervousness around alien pinball than the big lebowski but i'll say this both games both games in my mind are ticking mechanical time bombs so you can buy one uh, but if something breaks how fun will it be to own a big lebowski when someone comes over and you're like well the bowling alley doesn't work but it's there uh, or that doesn't work or this doesn't work and once that starts to happen and you there is no support and there is no customer service uh, it, it it really begs the question is, will you enjoy in, enjoy owning it? And as someone who's owned a rare game with a negative story surrounding it, with no support, I can tell you flat out, it is absolutely no fun owning these games. And I also think just from, uh, you know, an emotional standpoint, it is no fun owning a rare game that has caused so many people uh, pain and suffering and, and anxiety, and also you own a game that should be someone else's. Okay, so what I mean by that is if you go buy a Big Lebowski now from someone and you buy it secondhand and you have it in your game room, you just have, you have to live with the fact that you have a game that a couple hundred guys out there paid in full for and never got. And that just makes you feel kind of shitty. That if anyone should get a crack at it, it should probably be them. But look, life is not fair. And if you've seen Cobra Kai, the ultimate lesson in Cobra Kai is no mercy. And I love the way that, the, that Johnny describes what no mercy means in 2018. And it means that life is not fucking fair. That one day life is going great and the next day, you know, life throws you a curveball and something shitty happens. It shits in your face. And that's life. Like Dutch Pinball has shit on everybody that thought they were getting a big Lebowski. It's not fair. But you know what? That's life. 
if you want to go get a big Lebowski and you're going to have to wave, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars around and you get one and some other guy who's supposed to have it doesn't have it, that's just life. It sucks, but that's the reality of, of, of where we are with this whole thing. All right. I wouldn't want to own one knowing um, that there's not going to be support. I, I, I really if, if ARA said, look, we made the parts. Um, we will, we, you know, the company's closed down, but we're going to sell replacement parts uh, for the game. I mean, they could charge a lot, but people would stock up on them and at least just have the game. The other thing is the game's not really done. The game has not been fully coded, uh, but the game runs on P-Rock. So coding the game and getting the game to a better place uh, is not impossible. It can be done. So there is that part of it. So it's a gamble. It's a gamble. I just, I just think with all the pinball coming out that's not a gamble you you have to be a little bit obsessed or crazy to go in on such a volatile title all right now what do i think about the 40 games at ara will they ever be released you know that's gonna that's gonna be part of the lawsuit and they might sell those games to raise capital for the money they feel they're owed uh that will be an interesting day in pinball if those games hit the auction block I would love to see what they go for. Can you imagine if if 40 Big Lebowskis all of a sudden went up for auction? Uh, as much as people say like they wouldn't buy one, I think a lot of collectors out there would um, would find their own thoughts to be somewhat hypocritical of their actions, and they would probably want to go grab one. So who knows? Who knows? What we do know is this. Lawsuits take a long time lawsuits take a lot of money this thing is not going to end well it's just not there is not going to be this positive ending uh to the dutch pinball tale it's unfortunate again i think the they had two options that they failed to do properly they should have worked it out with ara and given their buyers the opportunity to pay more to resolve the higher cost of manufacturing or they should have gone to someone like a Spooky or a Jersey Jack or even a Stern would have contract manufactured it for them. Think about it. Stern contract manufactured uh, Medieval Madness Remake. Why didn't Barry and Yop just go to Stern and say, can you make our game? You know why they probably couldn't? Because they said, fuck Stern. So why would G George Gomez and Gary Stern open their doors to a company that came out of the gates cursing them out all right so it's over it's over and you know i just think ultimately ultimately the last four years of pinball i think it has shown everybody one thing that stern pinball for all of their faults for all of the things that you know we complain about with dimples and ghosted inserts and all that jazz stern pinball has spent 30 years, 30 years figuring out how to make pinball machines. In that 30 plus years, they have figured out, you know, issues that will come up. They have figured out problems that need to be solved. They have figured out how to do the most important thing in all of pinball. And I know people don't like to hear this, but the most important thing to, to know how to do in all of pinball is very simple and that is make a profit. It's the thing that people never want to face up to. It's not about making pinball fun. It's about making pinball financially profitable. If you aren't financially profitable as a pinball company, you will go away. And then is that fun, owning a game from a company that's now defunct, that there will be no support for? And I think Stern catches a lot of flack for the things they do to remain profitable. And I think all of us should basically be thankful that we have them, right? Because they made machines that are profitable, so they'll be around. And, and look, we're going to talk a little bit on this podcast. I want to read your, um, I want to read your mail next because in it, I, I, I got some stuff about my comments about Pirates of the Caribbean. So I want to talk about that on this podcast as well. Uh, but I, I, but I do, I do think we need to stop 
you know, looking at pinball as something that we should just blindly cheerlead and root for every new pinball company to succeed. No, what we really should do is 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 scrutinize any new pinball company's ability to actually deliver on what they promise, right? If someone comes out and says, hey, I'm going to make 10 pinball machines, just 10, and I'm going to build them in my house. Would you look at that guy like he's crazy? Maybe not. Probably not. You could do that, right? Um, but when Andrew Highway says, I'm going to ship 500 games a month, and I've never built a game before, and people like gave him money, like that's crazy. And now we know, all right? All right, let me move on to mail. Uh, and let's talk about some of the stuff that you guys have been saying to me. Now, I did get a bunch of questions for Jerry, and I'll let you guys know this. Uh, I tried to move the Jerry interview to tonight uh, simply because I had to go to a work function last night. We're going to do it early next week, uh, so look out for that interview. Uh, I also interviewed, uh, let's see... Uh, Joe Newhart from Pinball Star, a distributor who is one of the greatest distributors out there. And we're going to talk to him about all the things going on in the pinball world. I think you guys are going to love that interview. But let me read your emails that I have received recently. Okay. All right. I'm trying to think like yada, yada, yada. I got an email from dude. I'm trying to weed through the P3 ones. I got one from Jacob. Uh, Jacob, thank you for listening to the show. And he's and his headline is "Please no more Dave Sanders." He says, "Canada, love the show, but for the love of Christ, please no more interviews with Dave Sanders. Please." Um, he sucks balls as a guest. Furthermore, I find it somewhat ironic how you rightfully vilify Andrew Highway, then turn around and encourage your listener base to donate to someone who was so easily duped by that swindler. Um, no thanks. In my opinion, only a moron would work for no pay. Keep fighting the good fight, Jacob. And he says, P.S., I'd be willing to bet you 50 bucks that head-to-head -head pinball wins next year's best podcast, Twippy. Uh, all right. So here's the thing, Jacob. First of all, let me let me address both these things. Um, first of why you know, having Dave Sanders on as a guest. So I actually think D Dave is a really great guest. And I think Dave has shared some amazing stories about Highway Pinball, what it was like working there. And the stories he has should be captured. So I'm not sure why you have an issue with, with Dave and having him on. I don't think he sucks as a guest. Um, I do think that, um, you know, when you say that Dave worked for no pay and he was a moron and this and that, I think you lack something, Jacob. I think you lack empathy. And I'll explain why I think you lack empathy. Is Dave Sanders is not a moron. All right. Dave Sanders uh, has some disabilities. And empathy would lead me to believe that for Dave Sanders to have a normal career like a lot of people can, uh, that might not be an option for him. So he was lured in to working for Andrew uh, and, and, and being given a career as he saw it. And Andrew was doing all sorts of things uh, to try and you know accommodate Dave's needs, uh, but also took advantage of Dave. And if you, I think a lot of people in life can relate to being taken advantage of, right? It's not just no pay. I mean, most people go into their jobs and they're taken advantage of by their bosses and they don't get what they deserve. And this is just another example of that. I mean, Andrew provided enough for Dave to live on, right? But he didn't provide him a salary and compensation for the pinball work that he did. And and I feel bad for, for Dave. And I think a lot of people feel bad for him too. And I don't think he's a moron. So that's just that's just how I, I feel about that. Um, do I think that head-to-head -head pinball is going to beat me for the twippy? Uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's way too early to tell. We've got way too many more shows to go before now and then. And who knows if, if either one of these shows will still be kicking by then. Who knows? Anything could happen. Anything could happen. But, um, but Jacob, thank you for listening. I do appreciate you sharing your opinion. Uh, and let's go to the next uh, email. I got an email from Tim Fotherby. And he wrote, uh, uh, Tim wrote, 
he wrote, Tim wrote, Iron Maiden Premium was the subject head, and he said, I felt they screwed me over since I wanted a premium but settled on a pro. I don't know if many feel this way, but I'm finding the artwork better on the pro, and the added features of the premium LE are not coded well. So while they look cool and cool to have, you get very little benefit from them. Upper playfields in Game of Thrones, Aerosmith lower playfield on ACDC. I buy pros, premiums, and LEs, but that's how I've been feeling on it. Pros are easier to maintain. If my games don't play right, I stop playing them until I have time to make them right. been having a great time on Iron Maiden Pro. I think the artwork might not be improved yet on the premium. Maybe they also considered Iron Maiden a gamble, so why create a premium if there's not enough buyers? But it seems like the longer you hold something back, the longer the hype might still last. All right, so Tim sent me this note right before they revealed the premium artwork for Iron Maiden. Um, so look, I, I, I think that anyone who rushed in and bought an Iron Maiden Pro without waiting to see what the premium package was, I don't know why you would do that. And, he, and here's, here's why I mean that. And I mean this wholeheartedly. Why do you need a machine tomorrow? Why do you need it in a week? If you haven't seen the premium yet, why wouldn't you just wait? If I'm about to spend $5,300 on something, but another version of it is coming out that is $7,300 and I'm and I can afford both. I would just wait to see if I would want the the um, the premium, right? And so I think what's happening with Maiden is this, and I'm not just seeing it on gameplay. I'm seeing it on the art packages. I think a lot of people just can't be happy with what they have, and this is just uh, this is universal to pinball buyers. They always have to justify what they buy. Uh, and explain to us how happy they are with their decision and that they didn't choose the other version of the game. I see it all the time. I'm really happy I got Iron Maiden LE because the premium sucks and looks like Indiana Jones. And then you got the premium guys that are like, the premium's the way to go. I'm saving $2,000 and you've got a Christmas, you know, Christmas tree uh, as a pinball machine. And then you got the pro guys that are like, oh, the pro's all you need. Like, you don't need the features on the premium. It's just, you know what? You know what? Why can't people just ever be happy with the game they bought without putting down the other variations of the game? At the end of the day, nobody gives a shit, right? And I say this, and I mean this. Nobody gives a shit outside of a few hardcore collectors which version you have because nothing is truly really that limited. It's not really rare to stand in front of any of these games uh, because the only thing that's different is the art package for the most part and then a few small features. Uh, but I could take in 99.9% .9 of people off the street and convince them that Iron Maiden Pro was really the LE and this game cost $9,000 and they would just shrug their shoulders and be like, oh, okay, and then move on with their day and go on and not giving a shit. Uh, I think all the Iron Maidens look great. I don't think anyone should feel like they got fucked over. In fact, I think this is the nicest uh, game and the nicest options Stern has ever given people. And they're probably just laughing that even though they've done that, right? Zombietti has given everyone something to feel happy about. You go over to Pinside and they're still bitching and complaining and saying mean things about different versions of the game and I think that just is why Stern doesn't give a shit what people on Pinside say about anything because they're selling these things like hotcakes. All right. I got an email from let's see. All right, Kevin Sanborn and it says you should actually have to be an employee to call yourself staff and he attached a Pinside screen grab for you that I want to read to you right now. So this comes from the Pinside thread of the definitive pinball podcast list. And I want to read what someone wrote. Um, so Pinside user, it looks like KOOS wrote, I won't believe that it's intentional that Canada's pinball podcast isn't listed here. Come on, write his name down. He's not Voldemort. Nothing bad will happen when we say his name. I must admit, 
He can often go on a rant, especially now with the whole highway disaster, and I often don't even make it halfway before stop listening. But he can offer some good insights, news, and rumors, and it's up to the listeners to decide who likes him and who doesn't, right? All right, so the Pinside staff responded to this gentleman's post, and here's what the Pinside staff wrote. Allow me to offer the Pinside staff's position with regard to Canada. Pinside reserves the right to refuse service to anyone, and Canada lost his Pinside privileges. So we are exercising our right to refuse service to him. Anyone is still free to listen to his podcast. We are equally free to make the decision not to advertise his podcast. I love how they say like, we're not going to offer him service. Like they're giving me like a hand job. Like Pinside is some gas station that I'm pulling up to in my demon. They're like, sorry, Canada, we're not going to fill up your tank. You, we're not going to do this. It's so funny the way they talk, like service. Like they've got this service they're offering us. Um, he then goes on to write, while we recognize the podcast has its share of listeners, topics in those podcasts sometimes include personal attacks on members or Pinside staff, which are not allowed, right? Because you're not allowed to call out Force Flow on his hypocritical bullshit on Pinside. If you do that, they will threat eject you. And you're not allowed to say anything derogatory about a Pinside member. Because you know what? We're, we're, it's grown men talking about pinball. He then goes on to say, If you would like to discuss topics that come up in the podcast about news, interviews, and the like, those are fine. But that's, that's not exactly true. If I interview someone that you think was a great interview and you want to say, hey, you should listen to this interview by Canada, they will probably scrub that down. They then go on to say, if anyone would like to discuss our position, please open a moderator feedback. What I, and then what I love about this is they sign it off as Pinside staff. What I love about this is think about it for a minute. You can't openly discuss this topic with them in the open. They don't want people to see the actual conversation. They want to take it to private messages. And, and that is the whole reason why the Pinside staff, every time they listen to this podcast, which I know they listen to it, uh, they go and they crawl up into the corner of the room and they start crying like babies because they can't handle one simple fact that this is the only place where we have a pinball conversation where we don't hold back. I mean, it, 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 and we, by that, I mean, we also will call individuals out who deserve it and they don't want that to exist. They would rather live in a world where they have revisionist history, where they can control the conversation and they can censor. Like they love censorship. I mean, Pinside is all about censoring what can be said. And let me tell you something. When you live in a country where you can't say anything negative about the leaders, think about that for a minute. We live in America. In America, you can say, fuck you, Donald Trump. You can say whatever you want about the leadership of this country. And you're not going to get a knock on the door and be evicted from your home. But on Pinside, if you say fuck you to the staff for doing something or you question them, just questioning them, it's not allowed. They run a dictatorship. Right? It is not an open dialogue about pinball. So don't believe Robin's excuses about how they really just want it to be a family, you know, fun site for pinball hobbyists. Absolute bullshit. They want to control the conversation and they do control the conversation. And they have aided it and, and abetted many, many pinball manufacturers' ability to advertise. Think about this. They allowed Andrew Highway, Kevin Kulik, Barry and Yap to advertise their services on Pinside. And what happened when they allowed those gentlemen to advertise their services? Hundreds of thousands of dollars of pinball hobbyist money is now gone. All right, my podcast is free. I've never hurt anybody. I never will. I don't cause the collapse of pinball companies. If a pinball company collapses, it's because they made a shitty game. And that's the truth, all right? All right, I got an email from Lyman Sheets. Um, 
Lyman and I might be catching up this weekend when he's in for the New York City uh, Pinball Championships. I want to just pause for a second and say I want to congratulate uh, Crazy Levy, Levy Newman, Greg Pavarelli, um, you know, Steve Bowden, all the people. I know Neil McCray's in town. All the people. Uh, but especially the people that put together the New York City Pinball Championships. I'm not a tournament player. I don't pretend to be, uh, but I think it's great that they brought the New York City Pinball Championship to life. Uh, we got Al, we got Eddie Kramer. All these people are working on this thing, and it's taking place this weekend in New York City. So I think that's great. I, I'm going to stop by it at some point. Uh, and, and it's funny because I asked Levy to come on the show or, or, or I said to Levy, like, can I come by and do a podcast live from the tournament? And he goes to me, he's like, he's like, man, like you're going to come by and just make fun of it. And I can't, I, you know, I couldn't tell him with a straight face that I wouldn't actually do that. Uh, be, look, playing in pinball tournaments is fun for the people playing in the tournaments, spectating a pinball tournament questionable how fun that is but i wish those guys the best of luck i hope they raise money i'm glad they got their g fuel sponsor which is really cool that they got a sponsor in that energy drink so i just want to say congrats to those guys that are doing that all right all right let's go back to the emails i got an email from mike giorgio and he says hey bud this is mike giorgio in kentucky his name is pintucky on Pinside. i just listened to two or three of your podcasts, and I wanted to compliment you on what a great job you do. You are very articulate, and you keep your thought processes very smooth, no stumbling or dead air time. You have a tremendous vocabulary, and by the choice of some of your words and phrases, it is obvious you have a very classical education, and you are extremely bright. I'm just going to stop there for a second. Um, Mike, well, first, thank you very much. I think my mom would love to read that with all the money she spent on my education and my mom and dad. Uh, I'm going to read another email next where a guy actually corrects some of the th- grammatical things I've been doing incorrectly, which is why I find it funny. I love that my listeners keep me honest. He then goes on to say, I remember when some on Pinside were really on your case, and I was always supportive of you and couldn't understand why some were so hostile to anything you had to say. The only word that kept popping up in my brain then is jealousy. I'm a former TV news broadcaster and radio announcer. Man, you have the perfect voice for talk radio. You are quick on your feet and you stay focused. You are a natural for that. So that leads me to wanting to ask you just a few questions. My last name is Italian. I'm Catholic, Republican, Italian, Irish. All I know about you is you are Republican. Do you care to tell me what ethnic origin your last name is? Does it mean anything? Mine means farmer. Also, what do you do for a living? You said on one of the podcasts that you were traveling. I'm wondering if that is in connection with your job. Lastly, I viewed your videos a long time ago on the Magic Girl pin you had at your home. I actually only viewed it just to see what you look like and try to figure out what kind of personality you had. Well, I was impressed. I immediately sensed I would have um, chosen to be one of your top friends. I simply fell in love with your voice. I know you must be busy, so I will cut this off. Um, Thanks for reading Mike in Kentucky. Well, Mike, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. That was very flattering. Um, Here's the thing. Um, I'll, I'll answer some of your questions. So my background, my last name is Greek. My father is Greek and my mother is Sicilian. And when you grow up in a Sicilian and Greek household, what that means is you grow up in a 100% Sicilian household. My mother has the say over everything. Yes, I am Republican by, uh, let's see, by the way I was raised. I'm very fiscally conservative and very socially liberal. I I mean, I live in New York City. This is a city where we have a very open mind about things. Um, But I'm not one of these people that think girls should be allowed into the Boy Scouts of America. Like shit like that makes me sick to my stomach. Um, but I think women's rights is one of the most important things going on. So, see, you know, I'm just giving you a sense. Like, I think, I think gay marriage should be allowed. I, I, I don't think we should hit, take away people's rights or make people uh, feel like lesser citizens. Uh, but I also hate when the government like takes more than they deserve. And I think government's really ineffective. Um, I won't even give you my views on Trump. I don't like the man. 
I don't like the man at all. All right, let me um, let me see what else you asked me here. My job, I work in marketing. I work in public relations for a, a top five public relations firm, and I represent some really awesome brands like Royal Caribbean and Budweiser and Oreo. Uh, you know, a lot of fun stuff I get to do every day. I get to go in every day and just come up with fun, creative ideas to help get these brands into the media. So that's why when you hear me saying, I know a thing or two about marketing, uh, I kind of do know a thing or two about marketing. Now, not all of my marketing applies to pinball, so we know that. I Look, if you just make a decent game, it'll sell. I mean, that's that's what I know about pinball. And thank you for writing in. Uh, let's see. Oh, do, 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 do. I got an email from, do, 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 this. I want to read this one. I, I want to find the one that, that makes fun of my grammar because I think it's so funny. Okay, yes. I got an email from uh, Ginge, Ginger Tompkins. He says, hey, Chris, love the show. I'll try and put this in a nice way. Please stop using the term begs the question. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Use raises the question instead. As the host of the show, your point gets across better if you sound like you know what you're talking about. In other words, if you sound educated in the topic you're speaking about. When you use the wrong terms often, um, this makes you sound uneducated and unprofessional. You see what I love about these two emails? One guy just said I'm very educated and have a great professional sense and now because I use the term begs the question um, and then he gives me the the logical fallacy behind using it so begging the question sometimes known by its Latin name petitio principi meaning assuming the initial point is a logical fallacy in which the writer or speaker assumes the statement under examination to be true in other words, begging the question involves using a premise to support itself. Uh, let's see. Also, don't get mad um, on American bastardization of the term, I couldn't care less. You guys could say couldn't, could instead, or couldn't, which actually means you do care. Uh, all right. So first of all, I want to thank you for the, for the grammar lesson. I appreciate it. Um, you know, after reading this, it begs the question, should I stop doing No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I appreciate it. Uh, I do. We all use some of these phrases incorrectly, and I'm glad that he called me out on it. All right. I got an email from James um, about Jersey Jack and Pirates of the Caribbean, and I want to read this one because I was, I was pretty specific on why I think Pirates of the Caribbean is just missing something really important. He writes, um, Canada. Uh, several podcasts ago, you wonder you you wondered out loud how Jersey Jack got the idea for Wizard of Oz for, to be its first pinball. The answer is simple: Jack already had licensed the name for several redemption type arcade games using the theme. Attached are the pictures. Since he already had a working relationship with the licensor and he wanted to make a game that had wide appeal, what would be more logical? Uh, well, first I'll stop you right there, James. Um, I you know just. Be, there's a lot more logical pinball themes that people would want considering the pinball demographic. The demographic for people who play redemption games is not the demographic for pinball. If you ask me, I think that's just a little bit lazy that you would just go with a license because it was easier to get. I, I, I do. I don't think that's what I would come out the gate with in terms of pinball. Look, I still think he made a great game with Waz, but that's just my opinion. He writes then, Secondly, you have been quite critical of Jersey Jack for making complicated games that have too much stuff. Keep in mind that you have also stated that you would like to see Jersey Jack as a kind of luxury brand. In order to be a luxury brand for many types of products, you need lots of extra bells and whistles even if they are not necessary. Just look at any modern pinball, or sorry, any modern luxury vehicle, Mercedes, BMW, Lexus. Go down the features list. I'll bet that there are many features most people don't even know they have. Even if they do, most people will use many features once or never. All right. He finishes by saying, keep in mind that there are differing opinions. I agree that for someone playing a game in the wild, that it can be overwhelming and discouraging but if I were to buy the game for my home, my wants would be completely different. If they offered 100 different characters, I wouldn't think that was too many. All right, 
I just need to stop you there, James. I'm going to go through more of what you said. You don't think it'd be too many to select from 100 different characters for Pirates of the Caribbean. I almost shouldn't have read that part of your email because I feel like that dis that discredits anything you <laughs> you say because that's that's insane, my man. 100. Can you imagine having to cycle through 100 different characters? Anyway, he goes on to conclude. Um, it just gives you more to explore. If I'm going to spend almost 10k on a game. I want there to be as many features, modes, and things to do as possible. This includes video modes. After all, with computers these days, a programmer can just create an option to turn off any feature that you don't want. Also, in theory, that is why pro and premium machines were created, even if it hasn't necessarily turned out that way. Easier, lesser featured, and easier to understand machines should be in the arcades. All right. Well, James, thank you for writing in and, and, and the email. I want to I talk about this for a minute because I think you bring up some interesting points. And I want to start off with the whole notion that uh, Jersey Jack wants to be luxury pinball. And I agree that Jersey Jack machines are best suited for the home environment. I do think that Jack has a little bit of a pipe dream in that operators are going to run to buy his games because I don't think his games work well on location uh, for a few reasons. They're far too expensive. You have to collect way too much money before you break even on a game. At the end of the day, a Ghostbusters Pro will run circles around a Jersey Jack game in terms of what it will earn for an operator. So what are you going to go buy? A, a $4,500 Ghostbusters Pro? or put an $8,000-$9,000 Jersey Jack machine next to it. Twice as much money. And we'll also have you know twice as much stuff that could possibly go wrong in the game. You know, So I think that Jack's market is the home market. But I don't agree that more equals better or more equals luxury. I, I don't agree with that. If you look at, sure, you can look at Mercedes and BMW and that and that, but go, go into a McLaren go into a Ferrari, go into the the fun cars, right? Because remember this, pinball is meant to be fun. So if you want to say, let's look at luxury cars that are designed to be fun, the luxury car that is designed for entertainment and, at, and you know, fun factor, those are your enthusiast cars. And those cars are very rarely complicated to figure out what to do. And I was in my friend's McLaren the other weekend. There's like nothing in it but a few knobs for the stereo, for the climate control, and then your focus is on that big digital tack that's showing you how goddamn fast you're accelerating. Right? And I just think that when I say that Jersey Jack games are too complex, I don't mean there's like too much physical stuff in the game. I don't think that's the issue. I think we're where the games fall down for me is there's way too much in the coding that to understand when you step up to the machine. I also think the way Jack lays his games out, it's oftentimes confusing just from a visual standpoint. What do I shoot at? See, a game can have a lot in it, but still be simple. And when a pinball machine uh, has a simple layout that you understand, it doesn't mean there's not a lot. It just means it's simple to understand what to shoot for. That also doesn't make it easy. Right, pinball is not easy. You can have a simple, lots to do in a game uh, that you that you understand you need to know how to do, um, but it's also hard, right? So that's that's why I like Batman. Batman is like really easy to understand what to shoot at. It's really uh, the the shots are clearly marked. What I do is clearly marked, but it doesn't make it super easy. It's still a hard game at times. Sometimes you have long ball times. Sometimes your game's over quickly. That's why I like the game. Um, you know, so, and then when you talk about his last point, um, you know, for $10,000, you want to have all these things and all this depth. Um, yeah, I, I think people expect a lot for that kind of money. Uh, but again, like I think where Jack has issues is premiums, pros, and LEs, right? Here's my thing. And I'm just, I've been thinking a lot about Jersey Jack because I do like the company and I do like Jack personally and I do want them to be successful. I just, for the life of me, can't understand why it is hard to follow in the footsteps of what Stern does and just emulate what they do but make the games better. And here's, here's what I mean by that. In the last 10 years, how many games has Stern shipped, right? I would say, if you say, on, let's say on average, 
on average, and this is probably low, the, in the last 10 years, Stern has probably shipped I would 5,000 games a year. That is probably a low average. So let's just say 50,000 machines they've, sh they've sold. I, I bet that's a low, low number. How many of those games were a wide body? How many? Zero, all right? How many of them, right, allowed you to select 22 characters when you start the game? Zero. How many times did they offer an LE and make 1,000 to 1,500 of those limited editions? Zero, right? So I just keep thinking that Jack just won't do, give people what they want, which is that, first of all, collectors really want a limited edition version of the game that is truly limited. And I've said this before, around four to 500 is all you should ever make of a limited edition version of the game. And Jack tries to like call the limited editions limited and then makes them forever. So they're actually his premiums. And so then the collector's edition becomes the limited edition, but it's so stupid. The word limited is limited for a reason. And he just uses it arbitrarily. And I think that's a huge mistake. Um, I also don't think that people want wide-body machines. Show me someone out there who prefers wide-body over standard-body games. They just don't shoot as well. And I think that's why people prefer the way Dialed-In shoots to both Wizard of Oz and The Hobbit. But now we're going to, once again, get another wide-body in Pirates, another wide-body in Willy Wonka, and it, we have to wait for Pat Lawler. Why is it, think about that for a minute, why is it that the best pinball designer of all time, the, the layout that he prefers to use for his Jersey Jack games is a standard body machine? And when you look at the fact that Stern owns 95% of the market and all they ever make are standard body machines, why is Jack going wide? Because the reason is, is Jack thinks he needs to always go bigger, badder, bolder to like justify the cost. And I say he doesn't. If he would just put that quality that he makes into a standard body, he'd be more successful. Because what happened to Jack is he misread the complete market when he came out. When Jersey Jack came out in like circa 2012, 2013 with his plans, I think what he saw was that collectors were really excited by games like Twilight Zone. I think he used Twilight Zone as his sort of guiding light, his North Star for his entire company. Like, I'm going to make a wide-body, full-featured game because that is what collectors want. But why did he lock himself in to that so much? I just think he'd be better off if he went with standard-body games. So, and look, here we are. Here we are. And I still think that Jersey Jack has such potential, but I, until they get back to offering the normal amount of LEs for the right price, see $12,000, 500, that's not, that's not the right price for Jack's LEs. Um, it's just not. And, and, and I doubt they're going to sell every Pirates of the Caribbean collector's edition. I doubt they sold every collector's edition of Dialed In, that they made 150 of them. Have you seen 150 people unbox Dialed In collector's editions? I, why doesn't someone on Pinside do a Dialed In collector's edition roll call? Remember when you guys did the roll call with Alien and everyone said what number they were? Can we please do that? I would love, I would love to verify how many of those 150 actually went out the door, okay? Okay, so look, I, I said a lot about Pirates on the last podcast and I stand behind what I said. I think the game has a lot to like, but I just think it's missing the personality of, of the Pirates world that people, people love. And, and that's that's that. So let's end this podcast with one more email. I got this from Alex Rose. Alex, thank you for listening to Canada's Pinball Podcast. He writes, hey, Canada, I'm a new listener and I also am new to pinball, enjoying most of your podcast. Uh, I bought my first two games this year with pretty much zero history. I went with a dialed in and a TNA. Well, first of all, Alex, that, that is a great beginning lineup in pinball. Um, he then writes, our family loves them both and we're hooked on the hobby. I plan to eventually settle in on a four pin collection. So enjoying the search for three and four. Pirates of the Caribbean 
has had me excited from the announcement. And I've healed my deposit um, through Discgate. Um, but since then, I've struggled with losing my excitement with the game that I had the first six months, and I'm often debating if I will get one or not. Like you, I watched the last stream, and I just felt like what's been done with the game just didn't capture the essence of what I enjoyed most about the movies, the humor. I actually posted this on Pinside right after the stream, and so it was pretty cool to hear you echo the sentiment. I sat down and watched one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and the whole thing, the whole magic, is the humor, and the game hasn't captured one ounce of it. Instead, it's this pinball journey to unlock chapters, qualify shots, unlock multiballs, and ultimately get to each movie's wizard mode. Throughout this whole pinball journey, you won't laugh. You won't get any pirate humor. You can't laugh at Jack's drunken womanizing. It's actually super, super disappointing if you actually like the movies. Even the Disney rides portray the movies with the same sense of humor. I don't understand why Disney would want a shitty, humorless pinball in integration with no alcohol as a restriction. Why? When it's, some when it's so prevalent in the movie. Would they make this stipulation, especially for something that needs to attract dollars and barcades and other locations filled with paying adults? We have gory The Walking Deads. Any theme imaginable, yet we can't have rum on pirates. There isn't there rum. Aren't there pirates drinking rum in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney World? That's just me saying that right now. Um, Alex then goes on to say, anyway, my anxiousness and desire to not wait a year has me holding my deposit for the LE. Maybe I have a tiny shrewd of hope. I'll be heard and JJ will start Operation Pirate Humor and revitalize the game, making it the humorous ride journey it needs to be. I think the physical game is nearly perfect. It needs a completely new performance, though, that entertains me on my pinball journey. Not the serious, stagnant, soulless result they have now. If I can buy a funny-as-hell pirate's pinball machine that insults me, womanizes, and makes me laugh out loud, I'm in. I didn't think I was alone in my opinion, so I'm writing to commiserate with you. I love Jersey Jack, I want pirates, but they have to spend the rest of the hours before launch to inject life and entertainment into the game. It just falls way too short as it is, Alex. Well, Alex, first of all, thank you. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I think the reason why we don't have a Pirates of the Caribbean game with humor is very simple. I think when you look at the four people who made the game, or even the two people most responsible for the game, is you've got an engineer and you've got a programmer that to me, I don't think they set out to make a game that was funny. I don't think they set out to make a game that was humorous. I think they set out to make a game that was a pinball machine that would succeed on a pinball level. And what I mean by that is, I, I think it's all about the pinball. It's all about um, scoring. It's all about multiballs. It's all about chapters. It's all about how, how this happens on a pinball level, but not how do we make this funny as hell, right? Imagine Attack from Mars, that very game. It, it's a great shooter. People have fun with it, but imagine if you strip the humor out of Attack from Mars and make it a serious game about aliens invading, right? Imagine, and to me, like that's kind of, you know, almost like dialed in has like a lack of sense of humor too. Imagine if you took Medieval Madness and made it more of an earnest tale about, you know, a knight and a castle and dragons. And I think when I look at Keith and Eric, it's like they know how to talk about this thing on a pinball level but I just don't feel like laughing. Like when you watch them play it too, they're never laughing. They're never like, there's never that like call out or that like thing that happens or, you know, that really is like humorous. It's just not, you know, I think we even got, we definitely got more humor in dialed in. Like when the dialed in selfie mode happens, that always makes people laugh when they walk by and they see that. 
and we know that Pirates of the Caribbean has a camera, like a front a front facing camera. Like they could have done something more fun with that versus just making it take your photo for like the wanted poster for the high scores. So it is what it is. I think the game we're going to get is the game we're going to get. I don't think there's going to be... I think it's really hard now to radically go and try and design a game to make it funny. I think they went all in on a more serious Pirates game. And I think, for me, that's why I don't think it brings to life the fun, whimsical nature of Pirates of the Caribbean. That That's just my take. If you agree or disagree, it's your opinion. That's just my opinion. Um, and I happily welcome Eric and Keith to come on the show at any time to talk about the game. I mean, I, I think all of us went through this like cycle where we, we were super excited about the game. Like visually, it blew us the fuck away. And then as we've seen it more and more, and maybe it's just a matter of like over all the months we've waited, the hype dies down, your excitement dies down. Yeah, and maybe we are nitpicking and and looking for stuff to not be happy about because some of our excitement has waned, you know, in the wake of like Iron Maiden. In the, in the wake of other things that have gone on in the hobby. So that's that. All right, what else is going on in the world? Well, that's the thing I want to close on with this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. There's always bad news in the world. And, you know, I, I saw this tragedy in Texas today and the school shooting again, right? It's like, it happens like every month it feels like. And I just want to say that I really appreciate all you guys who listen to this show and I really just hope everyone out there puts their health and their happiness first. And I know we take jabs at people on this show and we say things that might be considered disparaging about pinball companies. And some of you might have lost $8,500 on your Big Lebowskis or your Aliens. And, and you might not be as excited about Pirates of the Caribbean as you want it to be. Uh, but we all should just be really thankful that we're alive, that we're here that, that we can spend our time freely talking about pinball machines, that we live in a country for the most part. And for those of you around the world who listen to the show, you also live in a country where you have access to pinball machines. And, and, and that's a special thing. And we are really lucky, all of us. Like nobody, nobody out there uh, has a pinball collection uh, who, you know, who, who, who's like down and out like who's completely like at the end of the line. And I hope not. I hope no one's in that situation. For the most part, you know, when you get to the point where you can buy these kinds of machines and get into this hobby, um, you know, hopefully you've got everything else in your life in order. And life isn't fair. And, and that is the reality of life. It's not fair that you lost money on a pinball venture, but life does go on. And you sometimes have to chalk it up and move on. You know, and it sucks. And, and your anger is real. And it's okay to share it. And it's okay to lash out at times and express those emotions. But when you do look at what else is going on in the world, you know, the families that have to come home and all of a sudden, like, a son or a daughter is not there and we're, like, arguing about pinball, it does help to put a lot of what we do into perspective. So I just want to say this weekend, everyone, like, like kiss, your, kiss your loved ones. Be thankful be happy that you can flip pinball machines and take care of yourselves. I haven't said that in a while, but I, I, I do. I do think people should spend as much time exercising and eating healthy as you do playing pinball machines because I want you guys to be around uh, to finally see Toy Story come out. It's probably going to be sometime in the next like five years. Okay, So I want everyone to be here to see that moment and witness that moment. All right. I love all you guys for listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. If you would like to uh, you know, reach out to me, it's canadapinball at gmail.com. I'm always going to read your emails on air. As you see, I, I do not filter. I do not hide anything from this show. It's always been transparent from day one. All right, everyone, have an amazing weekend and good luck and safe travels to everyone coming in for the New York City Pinball Championships. I think it's great. I think pinball, whether you are a tournament player or collector, I think it's great that you are passionate about something, everyone. Have a great weekend. (laughs) 